Are sneaker companies missing an opportunity by always releasing the same silhouettes year after year after year? Let's discuss this week on Fire Footwear. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Fire Footwear, a sneaker podcast. As always, I am your host, Matt Freights or Matty Ice in the podcasting and sneaker world. I thank you for tuning in. I hope that this finds you well, and I'm so happy that you are back. Or if you are new, welcome to the show. Last week, I talked about anticipated sneaker releases for 2023. And while there are a lot of known sneaker releases for 2023, there are a lot of unknown releases. So it wasn't really a comprehensive episode. There's no way that it could be a comprehensive episode. Every single year that goes by, we, the sneaker community, look forward to all the releases, all the colorways. And I think we understand that there's going to be a lot of similarities in what we see year after year. There are just shoes that pique the interest of sneaker culture, that sell, that make the big dollars for these sneaker companies, and you can't really blame them for going back to the well more and more and more. The whole point of sneaker culture is to make money. And while we, the people of sneaker culture, love the shoes for what they are, and maybe there's a sect of people who like it for the money that it can make them, and we've talked about that before, at the end of the day, these companies are not in it for our interest in the shoes. They are in it for the interest of their bottom line and their wallets. In researching releases for this year, I realized that sneakerheads have long been deprived of many classic silhouettes from the lineage of sneaker history. And it made me think to myself, what shoes should companies bring back that haven't been given love in far too long? Over the Christmas break, I was gifted a very, very awesome gift, especially for somebody who loves sneakers, but also for somebody who has a sneaker podcast. And it was Sneaker Freaker Magazine's The Ultimate Sneaker Book. It's amazing. It is chock full of so much history. It was actually a Costco find. So if you are out here and you're thinking, man, I'd love to get my hands on that book. Obviously, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it at Barnes and Noble. My wife happened to pick it up on a discount at Costco. Not something I was thinking was going to be under the tree. But you know what? It's awesome. And I was looking through it over the time off that I had for the holiday break. And what I realized is that there's more that I did not even know about sneaker culture. And maybe those of you who are old heads listening to this are thinking, duh, you've been in it for so little time comparative to a lot of people. We know all of this history. And as I was flipping through the pages of it, it dawned on me that there's just so many shoes that came out. Some of them were flops. A lot of them were actually really great in the time period that they came out. But we haven't seen a lot of them for so long. I think what has happened is money actually drives the entire business of this to the point that Nike, Adidas, Puma, they're all putting out the shoes that are selling. And you know what? I can't really blame them because we, the sneaker people, are eating them up release after release after release. If you think about all the releases that take place on a weekly basis, almost all of them still sell out even though it takes a little bit longer these days. So the Jordan 2 release at the end of the year last year, the Jordan 2 Chicago, which I really, really wanted, but at the end of the day, decided not to cop for personal reasons, not because I didn't like the shoe, not because I didn't want the shoe. I was making a financial decision. And I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who have to do that because they just do not have the funds to get every single shoe that is released on a yearly basis. That was actually a pretty easy cop. There was good stock. There was a lot of opportunities to get them. I recently rejoined Soul Savvy, and one of the things that I like about it is there's sort of a tiered approach. So if you're somebody who doesn't want to go full bore, you don't want to have access to all the slack and everything, you can just get a monthly fee and access to the Drops app. 
that's actually perfect for me to be able to set up alerts and be on my phone. I'm always on the go. I'm never actually able to sit at a computer. So I really, really like that. If you're a sneakerhead and you feel like you don't have an avenue to get sneakers that you want, Soul Savvy is a group that I've mentioned a lot. They're a pay to play sort of a subscription where you're paying in to get their knowledge and to have access. And there is something to be said about that model, but it's really not about them. It's about the culture in general. However, I do actually recommend it because that Drops app is wonderful. And I've had an opportunity, more opportunities than I had since I have not been in that group to cop. So the Jordan 2 came out. I had a litany of opportunities to cop and I didn't. That shoe actually sat for a while. Many of the most highly sought after sizes, if you think about the size graph as a bell curve, most people are in the middle, nine, nine and a half, ten. Those obviously sold out fairly quickly compared to the other sizes. But if you were somebody on the fringe, you could have gotten a pair of those had you been paying attention and had you wanted them. And while they sold out in the end, they didn't sell out the way that they did two years ago. If that shoe had come out during the pandemic in December of 2020, it 100% would have sold out. and We probably would have to pay $800, $900 for it. It's an OG release. The Jordan 2 Chicago was a shoe that Michael Jordan wore. It was a shoe that was made to capitalize on being a quality product and exclusivity. And it just didn't have the same pop back then. But today it would have. So today, I feel like sneakerheads are still buying up shoes, but we're not buying them at the clip that we used to. Maybe there's an opportunity for sneaker companies to go back into their catalogs and re-release some of these shoes that haven't really gotten a shine. And so what I wanted to do in this episode was I wanted to take a look at a lot of the shoes that I had been looking at in the Ultimate Sneaker Book and bring them to you and kind of remind you of some of these that I think would actually play today. The whole point of this is to give you a list of shoes that I think would work if we put today's design aesthetics on it, if we put today's technology into it. Obviously, we're going to keep the same retro look of these shoes because that's the whole point of bringing them back. But one thing I have noticed today is that when we bring back a 90s thing, whether it's clothing, whether it's shoes, one of the things that made the 90s so special was how bombastic they were. Everything was bright colors, pinks, purples, yellows, and there was a lot of bulkiness to everything. And I think if we brought something from the 90s back today, we could still have that kind of color aesthetic and that color blocking without being so overtly 90s, if that makes sense. So we're going to start this list with a shoe that I had never heard of until I got this book, and it's the Nike Air Metal Max. This shoe 100% is peak 90s because it's large and it's bulky. But one thing I love about it is the metal mesh ventilation on the upper. Not something you see on shoes very often, and it was definitely a 90s aesthetic. But again, the idea back then was these shoes are big and bulky. We were trying to make them much more appealing for people who were doing athletic endeavors. So that mesh ventilation was definitely meant to keep your foot cool. But when you look at that shoe compared to say running shoes or even cross trainers today, it's bulky comparatively. So that was something that was a little bit innovative at the time, but it was never going to really work given just how big these shoes are. But it's got that 90s look that I was talking about. When I saw it for the first time in a picture, it gave me a lot of Yeezy 700 vibes and some of those bulky new balances that we see. And honestly, I think that it would work today. I think it would play because I think it has that nostalgic factor while also fitting into sort of the aesthetic today. It's really no different than a Yeezy 700. And those are obviously some of the most popular shoes in the Yeezy line. And dad shoes had a little bit of a resurgence there. And again, maybe it's a dad shoe. Maybe it fits more for somebody in my age bracket, but I think it could work. And again, give a little bit of sleekness to it and put today's design aesthetics on it. I think it would work really, really well. One of the things you should know about me is I'm a big fan of the classics when it comes to casual footwear. I like something that can be versatile. I like something that has that nostalgic feel to it, a very classic feel to it from years past. And the Adidas Ultratech definitely fits that. 
It's in the same mold as like the Puma suede, maybe even the Adidas Sambas, things like that. You could see that being worn with just about every outfit. It could be that everyday shoe that if you wake up and you're looking at your fit and you're like, well, what am I going to wear today? You know what? I'll just put my Ultratex on and kind of go with it. It was a 1991 OG release and it was definitely very much casual wear. When I saw it, it kind of reminded me of the Saucony Jazz, which is a shoe that is very, very accessible, very, very popular. My wife actually has two pairs of them. And there again, that everyday shoe. You're not really sure what you want for today. You're not really looking to go for a certain aesthetic. It's just kind of a day. It's like Stringer Bell said in The Wire. It's a 42 degree day. Nobody talks about a 42 degree day. And that's kind of what your day is when you're looking to just put on a Saucony Jazz. It doesn't make it a bad shoe. It's just for a day that maybe doesn't have a feel to it. And honestly, it could be put in, I'm talking about the Ultratech now, in the casual footwear pantheon for just staples of casual footwear with all those other big brands. Vintage, classic. I think it could appeal to a large mass. And I think, again, with all the materials that we put on today, all the design aesthetics with the different color blocking, different color combinations, there's a lot that could be had there. And I think it could be a very, very accessible general release for just about everybody. You all know that the Air Force One is one of the most popular shoes that's ever been created. It's probably Nike's second highest selling shoe of all time outside of probably an Air Jordan. And the Nike Air Force Max that came out in 1993 10 plus years after the original Air Force One was definitely getting inspiration from the Air Force One. One of the things it had was a highly visible air bubble on the heel. Now, if you remember the Air Max 270s came out a couple years ago, probably 2019, they had that very visible air bubble on the heel. It kind of looked like one of those inflatables that you would float in on a lazy river. And while those didn't sell to the peak, they kind of are taking inspiration or at least technological inspiration from the way that that looked the other thing that it had, though, was a Velcro strap across the laces. Velcro straps were kind of really big, not only on Air Force Ones, obviously, but straps in general were really big in the 90s with some other shoes that I will mention here. You see them a lot on the a lot of the cross trainers from that 90s time, especially in the Nike realm. And the Air Force Max definitely had that. But if you actually look into this shoe, the thing that everybody says about it from a basketball perspective was that it was extremely durable. And I think that is something that would actually play today because of all of the people that are out there playing basketball, especially the wear and tear that these NBA guys put on their feet, that these NCAA guys put on their feet. I think it would actually play. And again, it'd be a way to update it technologically to have a little bit more of today's technology on it, make it safer for players to play in. But it would have that old school vibe. And sometimes new school people coming up like to have that old school vibe. So I think that that would definitely fit that aesthetic while, again, paying homage to something that has been the bread and butter for Nike for 40 years. I mentioned earlier that the 1990s was definitely having a moment when it came to cross training. Exercise was big in the 1990s. And I remember my mom having all of the leotards and all that stuff. And we kind of got that from the 80s. But as we got into the 90s, it went away from jazzercise and aerobics and it went into sort of weightlifting and running and things like that. And I think that Bill Clinton kind of helped that a little bit. Plus, in the 1990s, you saw a litany of athletes that were out there pushing a lot of shoes and being spokespeople for these brands. The Air Tech Challenge 2 was definitely one of those. The 1990 release, which again had a visible air unit, the Jordan 4 inspired lace wings on it. If you look it up, you can definitely see it. The Jordan 4 had those lace wings that we are now accustomed to. It's an iconic look. And at the time, technologically, it was meant to hold the shoe on your foot a little bit tighter. It was a little bit questionable as far as whether it worked, especially given what we know now today. But here's the thing. Tinker Hatfield designed it, and you're going to see Tinker Hatfield or hear his name on this list a few times. He has obviously had his hand on a ton. This is, again, another retro shoe that I think would have a little bit more play today because, again, I think when you take some of that old school retro 90s look and put it today, 
there is a large market for that. So that's a shoe that I would like to see released a little bit more with, again, today's aesthetics. Sticking with that cross trainer line and sticking with another shoe that I think hasn't seen enough play lately, even though it was endorsed by Saquon Barkley a few years back, and that is the Air Trainer 3. This debuted in 1988, so it predates a little bit that 90s boom of cross-training shoes. But here's the thing, it was adopted by Bo Jackson. Now, Bo Jackson was the athlete of athletes back in the day, the dual sport guy well before Dion, well before Coach Prime. And you know what? It was a big deal back then, but I think it sort of petered out. And it has seen very little retroing since its heyday. And its heyday is now 30 plus years ago. Again, another visible air unit on the heel. So it continues with that aesthetic that was very, very popular back then that Air Jordans helped to adopt. And I think if you put it today with an athlete that maybe had a little bit more pull, and that's not a shot at Saquon Barkley, but at the time, Bo Jackson was the guy. He was the athlete. Everybody knows. Bo knows, remember? Saquon Barkley has had an up and down career in the NFL. We haven't seen him in the forefront. He's a running back, yes, but this is not a running back league. It's a quarterback league. Imagine how popular this would be if it was given to, say, Patrick Mahomes or something like that. I think it would actually be a fun time. I want to give a shout out to a listener here, and his name is Brett. He has been listening to this show since day one. He has supported me since day one of me doing sneaker content well back in 2020. And I asked on Instagram, at FireFootwearPod, by the way, what are some silhouettes that maybe some of my followers on Instagram wanted to see? He was one of the people that chimed in, and he chimed in with something that nobody else had, and this was the Air Trainer 91. It's similar tooling to the preceding Air Trainer line that was started by Tinker Hatfield. There's his name again. The construction and color blocking, to me, reminds me of those off-white rubber dunk series from a few years ago with Virgil Abloh. They were different. They were very, very chunky, and rubber dunk is definitely an appropriate name because when you look at them, it just looks like they took some huge rubber thing and just boom, put it on top of an upper. And that's kind of what these look like, but these had a little bit more style. I think if you took them and retroed them in today's tech, they would actually be a great addition to the cross-training line. I actually looked at them and thought, you know, a lot of CrossFitters could wear these. Obviously, CrossFit has their own shoes now with their Metcon and all that stuff. I think the 91 would actually have a great place there, especially if somebody is a Nike head and maybe it would sort of rival some of the others. And again, maybe a sneaker head who's looking to wear some heat to their workouts doesn't want to wear something that just looks like a general cross trainer. The Air Trainer 91 fits that aesthetic. Hey, you're a sneaker head and you're a gym rat all in the same. I think that'd be really, really cool. The Air Max 1 is, again, one of the most popular shoes in sneaker history. It is certainly one of the most influential sneakers in Nike's line. What ends up happening is whenever you have something that reaches such a high bar, let's take Tom Brady, for example. Tom Brady is probably the greatest winner in NFL history, one of the best football players and quarterbacks we've ever seen. And when you leave a place like New England, the person that follows that is never going to live up to those expectations. So the Air Max one was obviously a popular shoe when it came out. It's funny, my father-in-law was flipping through that sneaker book and he sees the Air Max one and says to me, you know, I remember when we bought these, they were red and it was the OG one. So he was actually around and in the market for something like that and he loved them. Whenever there's a sequel, it never quite meets those expectations. So now you have the Air Max 2 in 1989 and they had a couple of different variations. They had what was called the Air Max 2 Lite, and then there was a Barkley version that was obviously meant for Charles Barkley. That was a little bit more popular, I think, because of the association. It was a failed experiment due to the massive hit coming before it that was the original Air Max. And there have been some attempts to bring it back, 
I can't remember the boutique in Japan that tried to do it. And yes, it sold out, but I don't think it had this, oh my goodness, we're going to bring this line all the way back. But I do look at it today and think that it would play because I think that while it was such a deviation, very similar to the Jordan 2 actually, from the Air Max 1, I think it actually fits a lot more of the aesthetic today when you look at the sneakers that are out there. It actually kind of reminds me of that New Balance silhouette that came out, the 374s or something like that. I can't remember exactly but it kind of gives me those vibes with a Nike aesthetic on it. And I think if they tried to attempt to make that a thing today, maybe giving it the backing of, let's say, a Travis Scott, maybe even an off-white release, I actually think it would work. And I think that they'd be able to strike gold and have it actually have a lot more of an influence on the overall sneaker culture. I don't think we'll ever see it again when it comes to there being collaborations, but hey, somebody can dream, right? This next one I think is popular in terms of its basketball history. And I know that the company does bring it back every now and again on special occasions, but I'm talking about the Pony Clyde Starter Low. Pony was one of the companies of the NBA way, 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 way back. One of the staple shoes of the pre-Jordan NBA. It was very similar to a Converse All-Star. They had high tops and low tops. And at the time, during that time in the NBA, that era, it was worn by a lot of the big stars in the NBA. I think if you brought it to today, it could be updated with a lot of materials to create a special release commemorating its history. I think that the NBA and sneakers are two things that are married to each other because over the course of time, especially since Michael Jordan, sneakers have been a huge influence in the NBA. Now, if you look at Complex's Instagram, they're putting out fits and they're putting out shoes that are on the runway every single night during the NBA season. So obviously sneakers mean something not just on the basketball court, but to the players themselves as individuals. And this shoe 100% predates Jordan, but it has a huge influence on what got us here today. I think that if they did a release, something that was very, very special, maybe commemorating it with something with the NBA, I think having a release every year during the NBA All-Star Game or the NBA Finals would be really cool. And they could find some moment to sort of commemorate, whether it was something or a performance during the All-Star Game, a performance during the NBA Finals, I think they'd have an interesting thing on their hands. And I think there'd be a lot of people who appreciate not only the history of shoes, but the history of the NBA that would love to have those for a collector's piece. Two more left, and I'm going to actually start with another one that is a little bit of a deviation from everything else. But Tinker Hatfield had himself a little bit of a time during the 90s again, and he got into Nike's ACG line. And the ACG line was meant for people who were outdoorsy. People unlike me who went on hikes, who did kayaking, things like that. And Nike was kind of trying to get into that trend at the time and have something that was similar to a boot, like a hiking boot that could be a little bit more trendy and be along the lines of what Nike's aesthetic was back then. One of the shoes that was a, one of the main players in that ACG line was the Nike ACG Air Rivaderci, a great name, by the way. Whoever came up with that was either a dad or just really, really great with puns, but I think that it was a wonderful thing. Again, it was the main line of that. And with the rubber toe cap, where they were really going for durability. They were going for something that you could take out that'd be sturdy during all of your outdoor activities. Whether you're a hiker, kayaker, canoeer, mountain biker, this shoe is for you. There's a lot of people who do those activities today. I mean, look at REI. It's one of the most popular companies in the entire country. There is a huge sect of people who love to be outdoors. And I would wonder to myself, how many of those people actually are sneaker people as well? Maybe we could kind of bring those two Venn diagrams together and try to find that mutual ground. And maybe there is a way to do that. I know that they did release that a couple of years ago, and I believe that it had a great response to it. I think they could do a little bit more with that. And I think the play on words is really fantastic. And I think they'd have a hit on their hands if they did that. 
Imagine if some of the people who were designing shoes today, like Travis Scott for one, if they actually put their design into it and also showed that they like to do these outdoor activities, I think it would be a home run. So I think that that's one to consider. I would love to see it back. I would definitely have a pair just to have for shoveling snow or something because it'd be, again, another activity. I don't have to worry. I have some fire footwear for that and I'd be able to wear it there. So I think that that would be cool. The last one I want to talk about has personal significance to me. Now, you all know that everybody has the shoe that started it all for you. You can think about the entirety of your life and think about what was the shoe that started my journey in the sneaker kingdom. For me, it was the Reebok Pump Omnizone. Now, this was a 90s player big time in the NBA and just in general in popular culture. Again, it was bombastic. It was bulky. But the thing that it had was the ability for you to pump up your own shoes to the tightness that you wanted to. When I think back on it, I think it was 100% gimmicky. But for the people and the demographic that it was aiming towards, it totally worked. And the athletes that they had representing this shoe back in the day, D. Brown, Shaq, Michael Chang, those people were major players in the sports world and they had a lot of visibility. I remember D. Brown winning the dunk contest, wearing those and pumping himself up with that dunk. I mean, that was just amazing. And for me as a kid back then, we're talking about early teens, preteens, being able to have something like that would have been a joy. For me, sneakers were not a priority because my parents didn't put a priority on those things. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. We weren't destitute, but my parents had to be careful to make sure that everything was taken care of. And they had a hierarchy for me of things that they wanted me to do. Sneakers to them wasn't something they wanted to continually throw money at, but that was the one shoe that they caved on. And I had a pair of pumps when I was probably 12 or 13, and it was great. It was amazing. And I still remember that. I wish that I had that pair today. But when you're a kid, you don't think about these things. And the people that I know today or the people that are out there that are sneakerheads that still have shoes from when they were kids, I don't know how they were thinking about it back then because that's just not something I was thinking about. And things like that get lost by the wayside. I really wish that they would bring the pumps back. They have, but I wish that they'd bring them back even more. They weren't just special releases. It would be amazing if I could go out and get a pair of those and just have them maybe give them to my son one day because again it has a personal significance to me and I do believe that shoes that have a story and have an emotional attachment are the best shoes out there if you're listening besides Air Jordan or Nike Dunk retros that many sneakerheads are waiting for what is a forgotten sneaker silhouette you'd like to see given some love reach out to the show Instagram at fire footwear pod is the handle that's the place that you can find us we're now on Facebook just search the name of the show fire footwear if you want to find me personally on Twitter, the handle is at Maddie Ice Freight. If you have any questions for the show, firefootwearpod at gmail.com is the way to get in touch with me. And if you are listening on Apple and Spotify, please hit that follow button. Please give us a rating. Please give us a review, whatever applicable. Those things help the channel to grow. They help the show to get more exposure. And that just means more fire content from me to you. I want to thank you for tuning in this week. I want to thank you for all your support. I hope that this finds you well. I hope that this finds you safe. And as always, from Matty Ice to you, I will talk to you next week. This is Fire Footwear. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on Fire Footwear are those of Matt Freights and his guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Fire Footwear is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.